Are you there, Lady? I am here, Matt. <laughs> awesome. All right. Welcome back to Barn Birding Podcast. It's been a long time, but we've got a wonderful story today by the writer Lanny Stabile. Uh, here is her bio. Lanny Stabile, she slash her, a queer Detroiter, is the winner of Outright's 2020 chapbook competition in poetry and a back-to-back semifinalist for the Button Poetry Chapbook Contest. Lanny was also named a 2020 Best of the Net finalist. Her debut poetry full-length, Good Morning to Everyone Except Mid, who named their dog Zeus, was published in 2021 by Cephalo Press. Her fiction debut, Something Dead and Everything, is now out with ELJ Editions. Find her on Twitter at Lanny Stabile. And this story that we're reading today is wonderful. It's called Muriel versus the Hunger. Uh, you can find it on sledgehammerlit.com, sledgehammerlit.com. We do have a content warning here, uh, postpartum depression and violence, just FYI. But uh, we're, Lanny has uh, trusted me with reading her story, so I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then we'll talk about it afterwards. Are you ready, Lanny? I'm ready. I'm excited. <laughs> me too. All right, Muriel <laughs> versus the Hunger. Like many new mothers, Muriel the hamster was stressed out. It had been weeks since she'd given birth to a litter of two dozen brand new pink pups, and she was literally wrung out. All those damn babies wanted to do was nurse. Half of them would suckle for a bit, and then the other half would want their chance. By the time they had their fill, the first half was hungry again. She wasn't sure she could produce a single drop of milk more. It wasn't just exhaustion. Muriel was showing signs of physical wear and tear, too. Her golden fur, which in her younger days had been the talk of the pet shop, was falling out in tufts. Her appetite had dwindled to practically nothing. By the time the pups were done draining her, she didn't have enough energy to nibble a grape. Even the delightful pinch of sunflower seeds that the boy would sporadically deposit into the cage did little to pique her interest. The average litter of hamster her age was seven. Muriel supposed she should feel blessed. Some female hamsters spend their entire lives trying to conceive. Some would kill for the opportunity. And here she was, complaining about it. Her best friend Judith, who was a chubby dwarf hamster and lived in the girls' room across the hall, boasted an easy transition into motherhood. It gets better, Judith promised when Muriel confided in her. Trust me, you'll miss these days. But Judith had only three pups and the girl had removed the no-good father during pregnancy to avoid any domestic disputes. So who was she to give advice? Twenty-four. Muriel thought and reminded herself that her best friend was full of shit. What Muriel didn't tell Judith was how, once, the boy had snuck a piece of cherry pie into his room after dinner. He had let Muriel perch on his shoulder, and as, as he poked a finger into the pie's warm, gooey center, and held the filling up to her nose. She sniffed, curious. Then she stuck her tongue out experimentally, as if the boy's pinky were a new salt lick rock. It was sweet and delicious. Muriel wanted more, but unlike the girl across the hall who shared everything with fat Judith, the boy was greedy and finished the pie in three quick bites. What Muriel also didn't tell Judith was how recently the vibrant pink of the pup's flesh started resembling cherry pie filling. Night was falling, and her husband John was beginning to stir beneath the wood chips. He stretched and yarned wide, revealing large incisors and a long orange tongue. 
Muriel told, her, told herself she wasn't going to fight today. But John looked so sleepy-eyed and relaxed that it irked her beyond the belief. Look who decided to wake up. The drowsy hamster blinked and yawned again, rubbing at his eyes. Don't start. I really could have used some help today. I am exhausted. John ambled over to the water bottle hanging on the side of the cage and drank from its metal dispenser. What do you want me to do? He asked between licks. Want me to go lay on them? They're not eggs, John. Jesus Christ, I know they're not eggs. Eggs don't keep you up all morning squealing. John did a brief body stretch. Okay, let me go play with them or something. Where is that squirmy little horde? Mariel didn't answer him. Did you carry 24 wiggling peanuts in your uterus for two and a half weeks, John? Did you push 24 cashews out of your vagina? John held up two defen defensive pink paws. Just calm down, honey. Calm down. I am calm, Muriel screamed, advancing on him. I am calm. Backing up, John didn't see the half-nibbled toilet paper roll, and he stumbled backwards over it. You know, Muriel, most males are cackler-wise when they're pregnant. Now, I've been a good husband, haven't I? Muriel chopped down on the cardboard roll, flicked her head back, and tossed the roll over her shoulder. It crashed silently into the soft bed of cedar. No, she answered. Not liking the look in her eyes, John squeezed himself into the corner of the cage. He turned around, stuck his nose in an open space, and made himself as small as possible, trying to get away. When that didn't work, he gnawed at the bars. But there was no use. John emitted a staticky scream as Muriel made short work of his soft, furry body. As she finished cleaning the remainder of her husband off her paws and whiskers, Muriel heard a squeak from the other side of the cage. She scurried over, and there, burrowed into a pile of cedar shavings, was a single fuzzy body. She decided to keep one, a little boy. Unlike his brothers and sisters, his fur had started to grow in, and when Muriel looked at him, she appreciated how his coat was a mixture of gold, like his mother, and sand, like his father. Muriel was confident she could handle just one. All right, that was Muriel versus the Hunger by Lanny Stabile. Well, Lanny, I have to ask, what was the inspiration for this story? You know, hearing it through your voice, I was... I was on the edge of my seat. <laughs> I was like, what's going to happen? Um, so I'm really glad that I, I asked you to read it. I, you know, I've got this thing, and I don't know how common it is with, with writers, but, like, I often go into some sort of trance, and I, I don't even remember writing pieces or, like, what prompts these pieces. So I really couldn't tell you, um, like, what the inspiration was, except that, um my wife was pregnant and I was just kind of experimenting with ideas of, of like what motherhood is and what mothers go through. And my, uh, my therapist at the time was like, have you written anything uh, about, um, you know, your impending motherhood? And I was like, no, I haven't. Um, and so I was just kind of like trying some different ideas out and I I don't feel that way at all like my daughter's is three months now and I I love her like <laughs> um I definitely do not look at her and see cherry pie filling um, <laughs> like I see apple pie where I just like want to pinch her cheeks she's so cute um but yeah like I I was just 
kind of trying things on for size. And I, I also really like the book, if you've ever read this, by, um, uh, oh, God, Sedaris. I can't think of his first name right now, but yeah. it's uh, Squir- David. Thank you. Um, when Squirrel Seeks Chipmunk, Squirrel Seek, Seeks Chip- Chipmunk, yeah, uh, by David Sedaris, and it's it's just all these these human like animals in in human situations and like how they would deal with it, and it's just it, it, the stories are so funny. So I always had that in the back of my mind, and I wanted to do something kind of fabulist. So I think mm-hmm. that's that's what manifested this story all right awesome uh i have to admit when i read it i at first i gasped when i realized what was going on and then and then i laughed at uh at the the outcome yeah i think it's important uh, to be able to laugh about serious things like that which is is one of the reasons why i decided to make it a hamster and not you know (laughs) like a real person right I mean, you know, it, it, on one on one hand, you know, it, it's it's kind of a, like I did laugh, and it is kind of outrageous, but it, it is kind of um, there's kind of a body horror uh, uh, persona to it, but it's also like um, it's a really touching uh, kind of sadness to it. Like uh, at the beginning of the story, she's in pretty dire straits. Like she's literally wrung out. She's empty. She's desiccated. She. She can't even stir to to eat the sunflower seeds that the boy shares with her. I mean, sounds like she's facing a pretty existential crisis here. Yeah, and no one's helping her. These people that she's supposed to be able to trust, you know, her husband, her best friend. Her best friend is basically like, it'll be fine. You know, you'll grow out of this. You should be happy that you have all these children. And and her Mm -hmm. husband is just like, what are you talking about? I am helping you. Like, he's not (laughs) at all. Yeah. Just frustrating. Yeah. Um, I hope you. I hope you didn't mind me inserting the uh, him licking uh, John licking the the water from the bottle. You did. Okay. I wasn't <laughs> sure. I thought I heard like the little licks, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's so great!" And I was going to ask you about it. <laughs> that was perfect. Oh, good. I'm I'm glad you felt that way. I didn't want to make it. I didn't want to make it silly. I wanted to to honor honor your story. Um, so we get. So we get glimpses of Muriel's past and and her life. Like, you know, obviously her life begins in a pet store when she has a full luxurious coat, and she's a you know she's the talk of the of the pet store. And then later on, <laughs> she comes home and she's you know we can we can uh, we get clues as to what her life is like now. She's in she's in the boys' room uh, with John, and then uh, apparently there's a girl across the hall, presumably. The boy's sister, who's got mm-hmm. Judith, and uh, and it sounds you know there's a it sounds like there's a I mean there's, a, so th- there's those circumstances where the boy is probably not quite as attentive uh, as the girl is because the girl shares all of her food with Judith, and but there's also just the the cir- circumstances of nature that seem to be conspiring against Muriel, and that you know she gives birth to 24 uh, pups, which just you know really. Uh, a, it makes the, the 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 situation unbearable for. And yeah, I mean it's almost three times the average, right? So that's that's a lot of kids. Imagine having triplets, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you know she's and so she she decides to rebalance the scales essentially. And uh, I mean the story is called Muriel versus the Hunger, and I had to wonder, you know, which whose hunger are we talking about? Are we talking about is it the hunger of the 24 pups? Is it the hunger? I mean, I guess John's probably uh, fairly hungry, or is it Muriel's hunger? And I mean, she's kind of at the beginning of the story. She's kind of 
completely, you know, deflated and can't even stir to to eat the sunflower seeds. So, I mean, I would have guessed that. And she, by, but by the end of the story, she gets her hunger back and, you know, she remembers the cherry pie. And so uh, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on, you know, what were the readers supposed to, whose hunger is it that we're talking about? Yeah, no, that is exactly um, what I wanted readers to think about. Like in, I don't know, you probably didn't get a chance to, to, to get my book because we just connected about a week ago. Um, but in the back, there are um, there are some discussion questions. And literally, the one for Muriel versus the hunger is, it's easy to name physical appetite as the hunger in Muriel versus the hunger, given Muriel's actions by the end of the story. But mm-hmm. what else might Muriel be hungry for? Mm. So I always wanted it to be open-ended, like, who, like whose hunger are we talking about? And if it is Muriel's hunger, what is she hungry for? Like, mm. is it a physical hunger for food? Is it a physical hunger for her children? Is it a physical hunger for her husband? Um, is she nostalgic and, and hungry for her past life? Is she is she hungry for more attention from the boy and from John and from you know Judith and yeah? So there's like there's so many ways that this could go. And I cannot, I'm not going to sit here and give you an answer because there is no mm-hmm. answer. <laughs> right. And that's what I love about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's notable that she decides to keep one of her pups. It's like, first she has, first she eats, you know, she goes after John. Um, and, you know, I, it's easy to see how that's a, a momentary uh, crime of passion, if you will. Uh, but then she apparently uh, goes after all, you know, 23 pups. And but uh, so that one, the 23 pups is, you know, because she already she killed, she got John in the in the heat of the moment, or one could argue in the heat of the moment. And then the 23, you know, uh, seems it seems like it could be arguably more premeditated because uh, she had already she had already snapped and killed John. And I guess maybe it was all with uh in uh, uh in the same act of, of of passion so i guess maybe i don't know i guess i don't know why i'm imagining her on trial or something um but she does decide to keep one so she decides to remain a mother to continue to continue with that role but it seems to be like it's on her own terms and so she was in this terrible situation and she snapped and she completely uh you know, rebalances the scales uh, in her favor. And, uh, you know, she could have killed all the pups and she could have killed John and she would have emerged like carefree from uh, with no responsibilities to anybody. But she decides to go ahead and keep one, the one pup that has the golden sandy fur, uh, which I thought was an interesting choice on her part. Yeah, I, so the pups were already, um, dispatched by the time she went after John. Um, That's why when he woke up and and he was like, where are they? And she just ignores the question because I think at that point she's kind of detached from the situation. She doesn't really believe what she did. Um, And also, like, I think that I I don't believe that at any time did she really question that she was a bad mother um, mm-hmm. Which is important because when women go through postpartum depression, like that's a common thing, and it's um, it's something that that needs you know that you you need help with, and it's really hard to go through something like that alone. Um, and so, I I made it like I wanted to make it very clear that she's not a bad mom, um, mm-hmm. and in this situation, she's kind of blaming 
other people. So, like, she's blaming John and the boy and Judith and, and even the babies. Like, it's not about her. So when she chooses to keep the one, it's about faith in herself. Mm-hmm. At, at least that's how I see it. And, it, you know, like, maybe somebody else reads it a different way. But, I like, I, I wanted that redeeming uh, or that redemption in the end. Like, she's a good mother. She can do it. She can handle just this one. Um, and it's kind of like a, a new leaf. I suppose, like a, a new outlook on life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So she doesn't well, want to emerge carefree. <laughs> right. And I, I apologize for uh, misunderstanding the sequence of, uh, uh, of events there. And I, 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 it's, it's, that's one of the wonderful things about having these conversations is you can find out what the author intended, and then and sometimes the reader came away with something else. And I and I apologize for for missing that. Oh no, that's fine. <laughs> okay. No worries. Um, well, you know, she does say she's confident that she can handle one at the end. And uh, now I do wonder, like, you know, if the story was to continue, I wonder what the, the family's response will be and how they're going to handle the situation if they, you know, will just continue uh, uh, keeping Muriel and, and the one baby or if, there, if something is going to happen. Yeah, I I don't know. Have you ever had hamsters? I when I was a kid, yeah, but I I don't think anything like this happened. It it, it happened to me. Um like I I remember having I thought that I got the same sex for two hamsters, but they ended up being opposite sex. They they had babies and something must have been wrong with some of the babies because the mother ate them. And I oh, wow. I like I didn't understand what was happening. I was like, "What? Wait, why would they do that?" cuz that's not something that we tend to do as as humans like you know we we nurture babies if they if they come out differently than you know we're expecting and um Mm -hmm. but with with nature like cats and and hamsters and, and and things like that they they don't even let it get that far and so it was something that i didn't understand when i was a kid and like now being older and being able to kind of delve into the situation a little bit more like it was it was a good exercise to be able to to see things from that side mm-hmm. wow okay uh i mean you know it's a it's a short story but like a lot of flash fiction it packs a really powerful punch and leaves you with a lot to think about because i mean it's about motherhood one of the one of the most uh complicated topics i imagine a writer could, could oh approach. yeah and so, you know, we we don't have this is not a Tony Morrison beloved situation, uh, but it's you know it's 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 a even though the the hamsters are uh, have given you know human uh, relationships and we have the sort of the domestic squabble between John and, and Muriel, there's still there's still a nature uh, component that uh, you know kind of wins out in the in the uh, in the end. Oh yeah, like I imagine if hamsters could read and they were reading the story maybe they would catch whiff of the ending in the beginning they'd be like oh you know just eat them eat them all (laughs) (laughs) as humans reading these stories like it's unimaginable right like there's no way that she would do that yeah yeah um i don't know if you read in uh, the best american short stories but the 2021 edition uh edited by jasmine ward has a great story that i read just uh either yesterday or the day before called our children by Vanessa Cootie. And it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, 
I don't want to give anything away, but it kind of touches on, and it's about humans, but it also kind of touches on similar themes. Uh, and it, it's an interesting companion piece to, to, to your story as well. Um, when did you write this? Uh, about a year ago. So okay. I was, um, I had, ELJ picked up my chat book of short stories at the time, but we wanted to flesh it out a little bit. So I spent a year writing more stories. Oh, okay. That's awesome. Um, how many stories are in uh, uh, Something Dead and Everything? There are 19, I believe. Oh, cool. 19 are or 20. Of... Okay. Are there any others about animals? Um, Not in the way that Muriel vs. the Hunger is, mm-hmm. um, but everything is about grief in a way. Um, and I'm sure that you can see grief in Muriel vs. the Hunger, but there are other stories. Like, um, there are ghost stories in here. There's um, there's a, a little girl who hates her stepfather um, and, you know, wants to protect her mother from him. There's um, There's some, like, really short ones that are kind of fun to write, like 100 words. There's one about astronauts in the um, International Space Station, and they're just like, it's a a hodgepodge, but everything is about grief in one way or another, and I think people come to that word, and and they think it's always about death, but it's not not about physical death anyway. It could be the death of a job, or a death of a friendship, you know, a death of uh, an expectation. Okay. Did you set out to write about grief, or... Sorry. Did you did you set out to write about grief, or is that just uh, what happened? I lost my mother in uh, February of 2021, and oh, wow. I'm, I I'm so sorry. Thank you. I uh, and I didn't really write many short stories until then. I was mainly a poet. I think most of Twitter knows me as a poet. And then, I don't know, my mom died, and all of a sudden I was writing all of these short stories. And when I looked at it, it the obvious connection was, was death um, and grief. And I was like, okay, well, if we're going to do this, <laughs> we're going to do this right, and we're going to do this with power. Um, and so I just I just kept going, and I, I wrote it out until I well, – to be honest, I was gonna I was gonna say until I was done, but I'm not done. Like I mm-hmm. published the book, but there are still more stories coming out of me, um, mm-hmm. and I I can see some some a similar theme. Okay, is there any of a of yourself or your mother in either Muriel or Judith in in this story at all? No, no, I wouldn't say <laughs> okay. so. <laughs> but there are two stories in Something Dead and Everything. Um, it's the, it's kind of the uh, the book the bookends. So to wash and dry a vessel, and then there is um, a story that's that's in here called the send off. And one story is about um, the the loss of a mother, and the the other story is about uh, the funeral, like and dealing with that, like the after, after the loss. So mm-hmm. um, I definitely have, see myself in those stories. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, I think the send off is is probably. Um, I think when I wrote that one, I was imagining what my mother's funeral would look like if we had had one for her. 
but it was smack dab in the middle of the pandemic and everything was closed. And um, so we decided to forego the funeral and just do um, wait until the, the summer and do a big uh, outdoor kind of thing for her, mm-hmm. a celebration of life. So this is just my me imagining what would have gone down if, if I had had a funeral for her. Mm. Okay. And it was the it was the last story that we put in the book. Like I I wrote it during um what was it? Oh, for Lent. I don't for Lent like I'm not Catholic, but I always like to challenge myself during that time. So I mm-hmm. decided that I would write um at least a hundred words every single day and I ended up writing this short story and my um my publisher ELJ editions they were like okay we're going to finalize this thing and i was like hey can you read just one more story for me and i <laughs> sent it to her and she was like lanny i love this is my favorite <laughs> wow um, so it was a last minute edition that's incredible well gosh did, did it, you think it was helpful to to write all these stories about grief i mean did it did it help you process uh your your feelings and and your grief yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I started writing to wash and dry vessel before my mom was even in the ICU. Um, and it had a, a really different ending. And then she died and I, I couldn't have that ending anymore. It, it was kind of like, it was an angry ending because I was really mm-hmm. angry at her for like being sick my, my whole, again, my whole life. Like I was processing things and, I decided to write it out. And then once she died, I was like, you know, it's okay to still be angry with her, but it just doesn't feel right for this to be the ending. Mm-hmm. So I wrote it a little differently. Wow. That's incredible. Um, so I think uh, there's one last question I want to ask you. Uh, and the uh, during our correspondence, you said that this was a personal favorite. This story, Muriel versus the Hunger, was a personal favorite of yours. Uh, I was wondering if you could tell me why that is. Um, I know it's such a heavy topic, okay? I, I understand that. And I understand that 24 hamsters die in this story. <laughs> But it's really funny. It's a funny story. <laughs> it makes me laugh. And I love to read it out loud. And I love to just yell at John because sometimes you don't get to yell at the people that are disappointing you in, in your life. So. <laughs> I agree. It's a very, it, it is a very funny story, but it's also kind of like, um, it's like a, kind of like, you know, Twelfth Night, you know, like there's lots of funny stuff, but there's also just a a real melancholy, a, a real heaviness underneath the uh, underneath all that all that funny stuff. And sometimes that's maybe that's sometimes why we why we have to laugh is because you know we we have to take the the tragedy and uh, and, and, and you know, hold it and look at it a different way. So exactly. I want to thank I want to thank you so much for sharing the story and the incredibly personal uh, information you shared about about your mother and the grief and um i'm gonna i'll definitely be picking up a copy of uh something dead and everything which is out now with elj editions and that's cephalo press oh i'm sorry cephalo press was uh the your poetry book good morning to everyone except men who named their dog zeus lanny stable this has been wonderful thank you so much for for being on the podcast and sharing your story Thank you for, so much for having me. Like when I reached out and said, "Hey, I love your podcast. Can I can I be a guest?" and you said yes, I was over the moon. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, same here. 
All right. Well, this has been Barn Burning Podcast. Uh, Lanny Stabile, thank you so much for being on, and, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, All Lanny. All right. Thank you. Bye.